Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Shelly Solfrin, who's been battling ulcerative colitis since 2008. She's here to share her journey with ulcerative colitis and how she balances life with IBD. Thank you so much for joining me today, Shelly, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to talk about my journey. Well, thank you. I'm excited to have you. So before we jump in to your journey, I just want to say I've been following you on Instagram for a while, and I love how you've been raising awareness for IBD and especially for ostomies. Mm -hmm. So as we get into that, why don't you go ahead and and start by sharing your journey and take us back to the beginning and talk about when when you were first diagnosed. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, So I was first diagnosed in 2008. So I was 29 at the time that I was diagnosed. I was single. I was working as a pharmacist, just really enjoying my life and living it up. And to be honest, I really wasn't taking good care of myself. (laughs) Um, I was working full time. I work a rotating schedule. So I wasn't getting enough sleep. I work night shift. I work on call. I work weekends. Really was not taking good care of myself looking back. Um, I was going out a lot, partying a lot. I was going out dancing with my friends. It was just really living it up after I'd been done with school and just enjoying being a professional and just really taking full advantage of being single and doing what I wanted. Um, Just being young and having fun. Yes. (laughs) Yes. After getting through graduate school, um, that was, that's really what I was doing. Just enjoying my life. Um, And I woke up, I remember waking up one morning and I went and used the bathroom and there was blood in the toilet. And um, that was really my first symptom. Mm-hmm. I went to my roommate and I said, Stephanie, something's not right. Um, I told her what was going on. She's like, Shell, you need to go to the emergency room right now. Mm-hmm. So um, she's like, this could be something serious. And I knew that, but I really didn't want to face it. Um, yeah. It's amazing how we kind of talk ourselves out of thinking how serious these things can be. And, and when right? they're happening to us, we really downplay them and and we look for any excuse to to not go see a doctor yes. or get help. <laughs> yes, that was definitely me. <laughs> so did she force you no, to go? She did. She drove me there. She went with me. Mm-hmm. So we went to the emergency room and the doctor did a rectal exam on me. And he said, well, it sounds like you just have hemorrhoids. Here, try these suppositories, steroid suppositories, and follow up with your primary care doctor if things don't get better. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's not really a big deal. Um, so I gave that a shot and things just kept getting worse. Um, I was still having blood in my stool. I started to have urgency and like feelings of pressure and mm-hmm. uh, abdominal cramping. Um, so I went to my primary care doctor and followed up and explained what was going on. And just from describing my symptoms, she said, I think you have ulcerative colitis. And she said, I'm going to try to get you in for a colonoscopy right away because this can get serious. And so I remember her picking up the phone and literally calling a GI specialist while I was there. 
she got me in um, for a colonoscopy like two days later. It was wow. pretty quick. Yeah, was fast. it was really quick. Um, and I just remember going in for the colonoscopy and being in the recovery room and having the GI doctor come in and say, well, I have some bad news. Oh, and wow. he said, you have ulcerative colitis. And he said, what this means is that you're going to be on medication for the rest of your life. He's like, I'm not going to go into stuff right now. You're in recovery. Come see me at my office. Mm-hmm. So, Did you have yeah. anyone there with you when you went? Well, I guess you had to have someone drive you home. But <laughs> did you have yeah. a family member or was your mom there or anyone? To- I had um, my best friend at the time. Mm-hmm. She was there with me. Um, and I, it was just super overwhelming. And no was, family history of ulcerative colitis or IBD? Anything no, no. I had um, my great aunt had ulcerative colitis, um, which she later ended up passing mm-hmm. away. She became septic. She didn't take care of herself. She refused to be on medication, and she ended up becoming septic and passing away from it. Wow. But this was, this was after my yeah. di- diagnosis that she passed away. So mm-hmm. at that time, I had heard about it, but I really didn't know much about it. I mean, we had covered that. We had covered IBD in pharmacy school, but it was literally one day of wow. class. That was it. Wow. It was just like scraping the surface, you know? So I had an awareness of it, but I really didn't know how involved it was. So what did your journey look like at that point? You get your diagnosis, you find out you need medications for the rest of your life. What happened and kind of what were the next steps? This is 2008, I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I followed up with GI and um, I was started on Azacol or Mesalamine. And for the next couple of years, I did well on just on Azacol. And then probably after a couple of years of being on that, I started to have flares about every six months. Um, so they would add on, you know, rectal enemas, depositories, along with the azacol. Um, and then from there, I would say, let's see, in 2011, it was right around the time of my wedding. <laughs> um, wow. Stress. So not stress at all. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> stress was definitely playing a factor. I went into a huge flare right before our wedding while I was planning and couldn't get it under control. So I was on steroids for our wedding. Wow. Which was, it was tough. Um, as you the know, emotions, I've never been on steroids myself, but from what I've oh, heard everyone so talk lucky. about was like, from what I've heard, the emotions are hard to control, that yes. everything is just very volatile. So tell me, what was that like to be at your wedding and doing the wedding planning and stress with steroids. It was awful. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It, it was really hard. And um, how did your husband put up with that? I mean, you're married now and uh, how, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's a saint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause my emotions were definitely all over the place. It was just a ball of anxiety. I mean, planning a wedding in the first place mm-hmm. is, is really stressful. And then I added the steroids onto that. And so I was not only stressing out about the wedding, but I wanted to look and feel like myself. And part of that was the side effects of steroids and knowing that I'm going to have these wedding pictures for the rest of my life to look and reflect back at. And I just wanted to feel my best and look my best. And so there was that added pressure on that. 
Um, so I remember I was tapering myself down mm-hmm. to the lowest dose of prednisone that I could possibly be on to get through my wedding because I just those pictures were so important to me and yeah. I didn't want to look back at those photos and ha- and just see IBD in those photos. I wanted to feel like myself. Yeah. So completely understandable. Yeah. So I made it through um the wedding and honeymoon and got back and I still wasn't better and I ended up being put on Imuran. That was in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um and they kept tapering me or increasing my dose of Imuran. I think I was taking up to six tablets of Imuran at one time. Um, and then I ended up getting pregnant while I was on Imuran. Mm-hmm. So and tell so, me, tell me about that. Did you make the decision to stay on medication or off medication? And then how did your IBD do through pregnancy? Um, well, the pregnancy wasn't planned. So I was already. On, like I said, I think I was on about six tablets of Imuran a day, which yeah. is a higher dose. My immune system was just chewing through it. Um, so I went and had a consult with GI when I found out I was pregnant. And they basically said, well, we find that if you're in remission when you get pregnant, you'll stay in remission the entire pregnancy. If you're in a flare when you get pregnant, chances are you're going to be in a flare off and on when you're pregnant. And they said, it's more important that you're in remission now and for the health of the baby, we're going to not mess with your medications at all. We're going to keep you on. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a nervous wreck. Yeah. So it was, it was really challenging. Um, just when I would take my medications every day, I felt this guilt that I had to put myself first and that I could be harming my baby. That was, it was a really hard time. Are there different things that you use during that time to help cope with some of that nervousness or the anxiety of just feeling feeling that way? Are there any, looking back, were there any things that you did that helped get you through that? Yeah, I started meditating. Mm-hmm. Meditation has really helped me all along my journey. Yeah. Um, so that's really when that started. Um, just focusing in on breath work, um, taking time to myself, just recenter myself. And really just having faith. I feel like my faith mm-hmm. got me through that as well. Just having faith that everything was going to be okay in the end. Yeah. Um, and because you do have to put yourself first in the sense that you have to take care of your body and you have to be healthy and able to carry that baby. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you've got to make sure that your body can get through that because it's not, not an easy uh, task <laughs> that you've asked right. your body to do. So Right. Yeah. And so being a pharmacist, I knew that in your end was category D. Mm-hmm. And I know what that means. And I knew there was a risk to that. So that kind of messed with my head even more. It was almost like I knew too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you made it through the pregnancy. Were you in a flare? Did you stay in remission by taking the in your end? Did that keep you keep you in a remission? Yes, I was in remission the whole time. And I have never felt better. To be honest, I felt amazing. That's fantastic. So did you have a boy or a girl? A little boy. He's seven and he's healthy. Everything, everything turned out okay. So, okay. So, um, no issues with my medication and pregnancy. Thank God. Yes, that's fantastic. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more because you didn't, 
sounds like you didn't stay in remission because you're advocating no. for ostomies. So it's been a, right. definitely the rocky journey continued. So yeah. had your healthy baby. And then mm -hmm. what happened after that point? So a couple of months after I had my son, Grayson, um, I went into the worst flare of my life. Wow. Yeah, it, I was just so sick. I was in the restroom probably 20, 25 times a day. And you've got an infant at this time now. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was tough. Um, so I went back to GI to try to get this under control. And at this point, I was on such a high dose of Imuran. They said, okay, we need to look at something else. So I was started on Remicade and um, I was really nervous about starting it. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the back of my mind, I just knew as far as like treatment plans go, it was just another step of my disease progressing. And so it really, it was really emotional and really difficult for me to start Remicade infusions because I knew that after I started them, I couldn't go back, you know, mm -hmm. like I, it's just, I'm going to be on it for years. Who knows, you know? So, um, started on Remicade. I started to feel better about after about three infusions. Um, and it was amazing. I felt awesome again. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, and I stayed on that for about four years. And the reason I went off is I started to have some side effects. Mm -hmm. Um, I was reading my son a book one night and it was like a picture book about koala bears and we were, it was talking about the plants that koala bears eat. And I'm looking at the pictures and I'm looking at pictures of bamboo plants. And I couldn't think of the word bamboo. Like mm -hmm. I, I could see the word in my head, but I mm -hmm. couldn't, I couldn't articulate what I was seeing. And wow. so I started to mo notice more and more, um, more and more times where I couldn't find the words for what I was mm -hmm. trying to, to speak. Um, and it was, becoming more evident to other people around me, it was getting that bad, like really bad brain fog. Um, yeah. Just more of the neurological side effects. Um, so from there, I went and saw a neurologist and got evaluated. What um, did they say? They, <laughs> this was probably one of the scariest parts of my journey. Um, yeah. She said that there's a really rare side effect, um, a brain disease, called PML and it basically causes it's a medication causing the neurons to not function properly in your brain. It's a white matter. Yeah. It's a white matter disease. Um, and if you have it, it's not reversible. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty terrifying. Um, so the damage that had been done to that point, is done. Yeah. Get this news. Yeah. And um, I went to go for an MRI and waiting for the results. I was just a nervous wreck because, of course, I, I hop online and I do all this research to find out exactly what PML is. Yeah. And, and I just really freaked myself out because I knew that if this test came back positive, I may only have a few months to live. Wow. Yeah. So it's something like 40 to 50% of patients with PML only live a few months after they're diagnosed. So that is scary. That, it was super scary. Um, so luckily, it came back negative. 
Um, and from there, I was given some other options. Um, and TBO was the next option for me, the next drug option. It's in the same class as Remicade, but my GI doctor was kind of pushing me to try it. Um, she said, you know, even though you had these memory issues on Remicade, there's a chance that your body will respond differently to NTBO, even though it's in the same drug class. Mm-hmm. So um, I knew that I was running out of options, <laughs> that there yeah. were only a few more left. So I decided to give it a shot. Um, with NTBO, I had awful joint pain, wow. really, really bad, like wrists, ankles, knees. Mm-hmm. And I was in the workout zone at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, was that a new part of your life, bringing in the the workout, or did you just really get mm-hmm. focused in on it at that point? I was really in the workout groove. Um, I really didn't start um, a workout regimen until after I had my son. Mm-hmm. So I went to one of my best friends at that time, who's a personal trainer. He convinced mm-hmm. me to come train with him. He was just getting started. He's like, come see me in the gym. We'll start working out together. So I started strength training with him. Mm-hmm. And got into just the best shape of my life. And I felt amazing. And I found that working out would help me also with my stress levels, mm-hmm. my anxiety. So that became part of my life. Like after after my son was born, um, started doing strength training regularly. Yeah. That's fantastic. So yeah. take me back. So you're focused in, you're on the Intivio. This is, you're really focused on fitness at this point. Right. So you're probably still stressed too, because you just yes. have this diagnosis of from what all the side effects of Remicade did. So you're stressed, yeah. you're working out, you're tr- switching to new medication. And it's what, 2017, 18 at this point? Yeah, I think it was about 2000. Yeah, to about 2016 or 17 at that mm-hmm. point. But so I'm on a TVO and I'm having these side effects. But my, again, I go to my physician and she says, well, it could be that Remicade was masking the disease so much that the joint pain could be related to the ulcerative colitis, not caused by the NTBO. So she's like, let's mm-hmm. just stick this out. So I, I tried. I stayed on that for a few months and I was working out and I was doing burpees <laughs> and I tore something in my wrist. And... I swear that NTVO may have contributed to this because my everything just felt inflamed in mm-hmm. my wrists. Um, so I was in like a soft cast for a few weeks after I hurt my wrist, and I I went to my physician. I'm like, I'm I'm done. Yeah, I'm done with NTVO. She she tried to encourage me to stay on it, and I just I pushed back, and I'm like, no, nope, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so I was on. Um, Humira after that, which didn't do a thing. Nothing. We are just checking through all the, all I the medication. I know. My body was burning. Yeah. I was burning through the medications just one by one. Um, so Humira, it was like I was injecting myself with saline. Like it wasn't, it didn't wow. do a thing for me. Um, so then the end of the line for me was going on Zeljans. Um, and it was relatively new when I went on it. And it was just starting to be used for IBD. I, my GI doctor encouraged me to stay on it for a couple of months. She's like, it could take six to eight weeks before the start starts to kick in. So in the meantime, I'm on high dose prednisone again. Um, I gave it the six to eight weeks and it wasn't getting better. And I went back and she said, 
Well, let's increase your dose and see how this goes. And by this time, I was just, I was just mentally in such a bad place. I was just feeling. How had you been dealing with the mental, I mean, fatigue and anxiety and it, you'd started meditation mm-hmm. when you were pregnant. Had that, had those practices kind of helped you? I mean, had your husband provided enough support to kind of, I mean, this is a lot to really, to carry and continue fighting. What were some of the tools that you used? To yeah. Help? The meditation became a bigger part of my life at mm-hmm. this point um, because my anxiety was so intense. I, cause oh. I knew, I knew that this was the end of the line. Like I had no other options left. And if this didn't work, that was it. So I was meditating every day, um, mm. at least 10 minutes a day, sometimes up to 30 minutes a day. Um, and journaling, journaling mm. was really, really helpful for me. Um, and I also made prayer a part of my meditation practice too. So that helped keep me grounded to a certain mm. extent, but, um, I still was struggling really, really bad with anxiety and depression. For me, being at the end of this journey, I felt defeated. I felt like the disease was was taking over and I felt like I've been fighting it and I'm losing this battle. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a really challenging time for me. Um so she when I went in and she bumped up my dose, she was like, Okay, let's give it another eight weeks. And I said, you know, I just I don't know how much longer I can do this. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, there's always surgery. And I said, nope, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, absolutely not. She was like, well, then you're going to have to just try to stick this out. And I remember going home and I, said, I, I just had this block to surgery. I just felt like that was somewhere I was never going to go. Like had, you, had you considered it all before or was it even part of the conversation ever? Um. It really wasn't mm-hmm. surprisingly when I look back um, and now looking back, I wish it would have been presented to me earlier and presented to me in a positive way mm-hmm. um, because it definitely was not until pretty far along in my journey. Yeah. So, and it wasn't even discussed in a way that was, uh, was going to create a positive change in my life. It, it, really, the only thing that was discussed about surgery were the possible complications. Wow. Yeah. It. So I wish that would have been a little bit different. Do you think that is part of what played into just no surgery? I'm not having this. And yeah, yeah, because I was only hearing negative things. Yeah. The little bit that I did hear. It That's was, a shame. I know. I know. And so you've got so eight more weeks of the Zelgen. They upped the dose. We said mm-hmm. no to surgery. What happened mm-hmm. then? So within that time, <laughs> I I started to go on Instagram and look for other IBD patients to connect with. Mm-hmm. And that's really when I started seeing people with ostomies who were thriving and doing really well. And so mm-hmm. I started to consider it um, mm-hmm. and started to connect with some of them and just talk to them and, and learn about their experiences with it. And almost everybody I talked to was just completely positive. Yeah. Um, so I started to consider it a bit. Um, and then from there, I said, well, if I'm going to make such a drastic change in my life and ha- go ahead with the surgery, I want to know that I've done everything I could possibly do to, 
to, mm-hmm. to help myself and to make sure that this was the right decision. Cause I didn't ever want to look back and be like, I wish I would have tried this or that. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I went to a functional medicine doctor and I said, here's what's going on. How can you help me? Like, let's, let's run every test we can. Like, I want to know that I've done everything I could before I take this next step. So we did blood tests, stool samples. I ended up spending quite a bit of money on all of these exams because they weren't covered by insurance. But yeah, functional medicine is completely out of pocket for yes. every test, every treatment, every visit. Right. And I knew for myself that it would haunt me if I didn't do yeah. this. I needed to explore it. Yeah, I needed to explore every option. So I went ahead with that. And all of the tests really much didn't come from it. Um, I tried to change what I was eating. Mm -hmm. I went pretty drastic. I went vegan Mm -hmm. for a while. What did your diet look like before? I ate pretty healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, Since I had my son, that's really when my diet kind of changed. And I tried to always eat balanced, like carbs, protein, fats, Mm -hmm. um, balanced all the time. Um, So I was doing pretty well before that. But I had also cut out dairy and gluten. Mm -hmm. That was something I did pretty early on. I had been dairy-free and Mm gluten-free. And then at this point, I said, I'm going to go vegan and just see how I feel. And so I did that for a few weeks. Um... And I found that like the vegetables were kind of more irritating, mm-hmm. especially raw vegetables. Like I just, yeah. it just made things a little bit worse. So, you know, I, I emailed back and forth with my doctor. She's like, well, you know, vegetables, a lot of patients don't really do well with mm-hmm. that. She said, have you thought about doing like paleo? So I, I went from a vegan <laughs> diet to a fully paleo diet, like just mm-hmm. the complete opposite direction. And I said, well, I'll give it a shot. Um, so I was doing bone broth, making my own bone broth and everything and drinking that every day. Mm-hmm. I tried that. Um, and I didn't feel much different. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't see like going from vegan to paleo. I felt like eliminating a lot of the vegetables helped, mm-hmm. but I still wasn't seeing the improvement I was hoping for. Still not so, great. no. So at that point, I kind of pushed on my doctor. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about surgery. Can you get me a referral? And she really dragged her feet. I feel like um, I really had to push to get a referral for surgery. Like, I think she took such ownership in, like, trying to get me in remission that it was almost like a personal thing when when I wanted to be referred out. That's so, so sad. I mean, it's it's frustrating because it, it's hard enough sometimes, I think, to advocate for ourselves and to ask the questions that we need to when we're in the doctor's office. And right. sometimes we're just so stressed and nervous and we don't always think of things that we need to when we should. And, and then to have that extra barrier, to have a doctor who's almost forcing you to push a little harder, someone who's kind of pushing back a bit, you know, that makes it harder in your journey to get the care that you need. And had you not, you know, been adamant and not really stood up for yourself, you know, it's yeah. sad to think of how much longer would you have continued to go down the right. road just trying things that didn't work. Right. And I'm definitely, I'm definitely someone to push back. 
mm-hmm. you know, so it just made me think, you know, those patients that are, they just fully trust their doctor and do whatever the doctor says and the doctor knows best. That's definitely not me. Like I, I'm not afraid to speak up and advocate mm-hmm. for myself. So I pushed back on her and um, at that point she wanted to send me for a scope. She's like, well, if we go for surgery, they're going to need a scope done anyways to see where things are at. And I pushed back on her again. I was like, oh, I read this journal article that one of the causes of ulcerative colitis is HPV virus. Um, So when you're in there doing a biopsy, can you just send this away and get tests for HPV? I want to know because that would change my treatment. Um, I want to know that that's not a cause. And again, she was like, no, she tried to shrug me off. She said, you don't have HPV. She's like, you are textbook ulcerative colitis. And I said, well, you know what? I might be textbook ulcerative colitis, but I need to know that this is negative before I go forward. So she she kind of seemed upset with me. She's like, okay. But she ended up doing it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's one thing that I I think I would like to have a message that just don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. Yeah get other opinions. Don't be afraid to challenge your doctors. You know, they're providing, not only are they they your care providers, but they're providing a service too. Yeah. I I think that's really important. And I'm glad you said that and really kind of emphasized it because it does, I think there are so many people, especially younger people who get diagnosed that really haven't had time to fully uh, create their voice (laughs) or, or many chances to, you know, really stand up for themselves and because I do hear it a lot that, you know, it is hard to to advocate for yourself. And sometimes it takes practice and it takes knowing, right. takes knowing that you can. Right. Yeah. And I, I think it's important for everyone know that to know that they can, that yeah. physician is not always the be all end all that you do have a thing in your treatment. So. So did she finally refer you to a surgeon? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got referred out. Um, Dr. Craig Brown in Denver. He was absolutely amazing. Spent a lot of time um, with me going over my options, J-Pouch versus ileostomy. And at the end of our consultation, he said, you know, if if you want to go forward with this, if you've just had enough, I have an opening for surgery coming up on this Monday. And this was like on a Wednesday or Thursday. Wow. Yeah. He's like, go home and think about what you want to do. And he's like, if you if you've just had it, just call me. He gave me his cell phone number and everything. Wow. Um, and I called him that Friday and was like, let's do this. Yeah, I'm done. I wait. <laughs> yeah, I just I emotionally, mentally, I was just I was there. I was at the end. I well, like, and it had been ten years by this point because you were diagnosed in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. and you had your first surgery in two thousand eighteen. Eighteen, yes. Yeah, I would say I had a good, you know, four or five years in the beginning where it, it was tolerable and I could still live my life. And then after that, it was really effect- affecting every aspect of my life. So it was time. I was mm-hmm. ready. Uh, so looking at the surgery, what were some of the things that was there anything looking back that you wish you would have known beforehand going going into it or as you were coming out? Talk to me about that too, coming into recovery? Well, I did a lot of research. Um, I kind of knew what the complications could be. Mm-hmm. 
and my surgeon did a good job of really painting a picture of what it would be like. And I don't feel like he, you know, made it seem all positive and rainbows <laughs> and everything. He gave, he gave me um, a true look at what could potentially happen. Um, and I did have a few of those complications. Did you? So, yeah, I am... I decided to do the J pouch. Mm -hmm. And again, for me, it was, well, I want to try it. I don't want to always wonder, well, what if, what if I would have got the J pouch surgery? So I went ahead with that. And on my second day of recovery, I ended up getting an ileus. um, And that's when your intestines go to sleep. Oh, no. Yeah. So I started vomiting and just having really, really bad abdominal cramps. So mm-hmm. my intestines just stopped functioning, basically. Wow. They went yeah. on strike. <laughs> they, they totally went on strike. Um, and it was probably the most difficult aspect of my recovery. Um, I had to get an NG tube placed down mm-hmm. my nose and into my stomach. So having my stomach pumped um, for a couple of days before they woke back wow. up. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then at one point, after I got discharged from the hospital, I thought that my J pouch might be leaking because I was still having some sort of ulcerative colitis type symptoms, even mm-hmm. though I was diverted at the time to an ileostomy. I was having some rectal pain and just like feelings of pressure and just things that reminded me of having UC. Um, so they did a scope to see if my pouch was leaking, which mm-hmm. that could be really serious. You can become septic. Yeah. It's, it can be a really serious thing. So we went in and checked for that. And that was okay. Um, and got through that. He put me on antibiotics at the time and it seemed to help. And so he thought I might have pouchitis already, even, which I guess is really rare when you're diverted to an ileostomy and there's nothing flowing through the J pouch. It's rare for that to happen. So, but you've already had rare side effects. I know. So. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. So if something's going to happen, it seems like it's going to happen to me. So, <laughs> so I have all the experiences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then from there, I came off the antibiotics and I was doing okay. I spent about a year with my J pouch before I just had had enough with it because I was having pouchitis off and on so much. I could not get off of antibiotics. Wow. Every time I would try to come off with Cipro, I, I would have pouchitis again and it would feel just like having ulcerative colitis all over oh, again. Wow. Yeah. So I just, uh, I was in a bad place then too, because I felt like here I am, I went through this major surgery and I'm back where I started. Yeah. So, so, so then what happened? It sounds like, you know, looking at your profile, you ended up with a total colectomy if, if I'm remembering right. So how did that happen? What was the final straw from the J pouch to say, I need to go back and have another surgery? Um, it was my lifestyle. Like I, mm-hmm. with the J pouch, I was in so much pain from the pouchitis that I was taking these hot baths. And I was literally, when I'd get home from work, I would spend the whole evening between the bathtub and the toilet. Mm-hmm. And like being in the bathtub was the only thing that helps with my pain, like being oh, wow. in the hot water. And, and I can't live in a bathtub. No, <laughs> no. I, so I just wanted my life back again. And I couldn't, the pains that I was having were really bad. Um, yeah. And so 
I called up my surgeon again. I told him what was going on. He said, okay, well, you might have to have your J pouch taken out, or I know someone that can do a revision. And he's the only one in the Denver area that will do a pouch revision. So I got a referral out to him. It's Dr. Vogel at University of Colorado. Mm -hmm. He will do J pouch revision. So I went to Dr. Vogel thinking I'm going in to set up a surgery to have my J pouch revised. Mm -hmm. And he, he said, no, you know, we don't have to go that extreme. Take that next big step and do that surgery all over again. He's like, why don't I just divert you to an ileostomy? If you keep your pouch, we'll see how you do diverted and see if you're still having those pains and everything. Mm. And I got diverted and um, I've been doing awesome ever since no more pain no more issues. So, wow. And so when was that? That was uh, 2019, mm-hmm. about a year ago or a little over? Yeah, a little over a year ago. Um, wow. So I've been doing awesome now. And I don't think I'll ever go back to my J pouch. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever want to do re- the revision. I'm, I'm good where I'm at. <laughs> it can just stay there, stay where it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I have my life back again and just enjoying doing the things I love. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about that. You've got your life back. Um, what are some of the things you do now? Are you able to do dive back into your fitness? Um, what's your food look like? What does life look like now that you have it back? Right. So fitness wise, I do a lot of things outdoors. Mm-hmm. I feel really grounded when I'm outdoors. So I do mm-hmm. spend a lot of time outside and I've been biking now every day. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband is an avid cyclist, so of course mm-hmm. he's happy with that. <laughs> do you so, join him for the the rides? I do, but he's he's a crazy mountain biker. Mm-hmm. He the stuff he climbs is insane. I there's no way I could keep up with him. Like he's mm-hmm. he's pretty advanced. I am just just starting out. I've been biking every day, um, going on hikes. Um, we did a 25-mile bike ride um, from oh. um, Frisco to Keystone and back. And mm-hmm. that is something that I would have never have been able to do prior to having my ileostomy. Like, there was no way. Mm-hmm. I, now, you know. now, do you have any tips for when you're doing? I mean, 25 miles would probably take a, a while. So do you have any tips when you're doing these maybe long hikes outdoors or long rides on how to take care of your ileostomy or... Uh, handling that while you're out on some of these mini adventures? <laughs> Not really. I mean, the ileostomy has been so easy to deal with. Mm-hmm. Usually before I go on a hike, um, you know, there's usually toilets like at the beginning of a hiking trail. I'll usually empty my bag when I start the hike mm-hmm. and then I'm fine the whole time. But again, I have had to empty my ba- bag when I'm out hiking, but it's really so much easier than having to use the bathroom out in the woods. (laughs) It's actually pretty convenient. And actually a perk. (laughs) Yeah. It's super easy. Um, And bike riding the same thing. Like I'll usually just Mm -hmm. use the bathroom before I go and then I'm fine. So anything you do for extra support or do you use any of the belts or anything like that during activity? Um, I sometimes will use, I bought this support belt. Um, it wasn't a fancy one. It was about $20 on mm-hmm. Amazon and it's been really great. So I do that if I'm doing any sort of weights mm-hmm. or hit workouts or anything like that, I'll use it. But uh, biking, I usually don't use anything. Mm-hmm. And how does your diet look? Do you have to adjust what you're eating now that you have the bag or 
is your diet actually more expanded? I've heard both sides of the coin. <laughs> yeah, I am one of the lucky ones. I can pretty much eat everything. Mm-hmm. It's That's been, fantastic. It's been amazing. Yeah. So again, I, I've just gone back to really eating balanced. And in the beginning, when I got my ileostomy, I was really cautious. Mm-hmm. Just because there's, there's a long list of things to avoid. And so I would try just little pieces of it and just a few bites and see how my body would react and see if I could process it. Okay. And it wasn't going to get me any problems. And then, Mm -hmm. and then I, I slowly added all those things back into my diet. Is there anything that you have to avoid now? Yes. And it's such a random, (laughs) random, strange thing. The only thing that gives me problems is spaghetti squash. Really? (laughs) And I love squash. I love spaghetti squash. So that was kind of a bummer for me. Yeah. But yeah, I I've tried it twice and it's definitely given me like a partial blockage. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so spaghetti squash is out. Yeah. <laughs> so how about the kind of the keeping calm aspect? Have you continued the meditation and the journaling? Are there some different yeah. things that you've done, especially now that you're feeling better? How does all that mm-hmm. come come into play still? I still um, still meditate. Mm-hmm. still is a daily practice for me. And there's different apps that I use for that. Um, I am exercising every day. That helps tremendously, especially the bike riding. I feel like it helps me get out of my head and get into my physical body. And like, I have to focus on what I'm doing when I'm riding my bike. So it's, it's a way of a, meditating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. Those have been the two main things and spending time outdoors is just very grounding for me. So. so now talk to me a little bit about your advocacy, because it sounds like you really didn't um, get involved too much in the IBD community until you were starting to look at the surgery option. And that's when you mm-hmm. started reaching out to other people with, with ostomies and, and getting their advice. So what was it that really prompted you to start sharing your journey online and start to advocate for other IBD patients? Well, I felt like I wanted to return what I was given, mm-hmm. but when I reached out to the patients who had IVD or were going through the same thing as me, they were just amazingly supportive and gave such great advice. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I wasn't so isolated, like I wasn't alone in it. So not only did I have my family and my my friends here, but I had this whole online IVD community that was checking in on me and... Mm-hmm. I found another girl who was going through the same thing at the same time as me and her. Wow. Yeah. And her J pouch surgery was the week before mine. So Mm -hmm. I was messaging with her and um, just supporting her through it. And then she supported me through it. And I was like, I want to, I want to start my own page and I want to give this back to somebody else. So what are some of the things that since you've been advocating, is there anything that has helped to further shape your view of IBD just from the people that you've conversed with and met through starting your own page? I think I've just realized how strong and resilient I am and how strong and resilient most patients with IBD are. And just um, really enjoying connecting with all of those other people and really trying to help out whoever I can. Yeah. It's really really given back to me in a sense that I get to help other people out. So if people do want to follow you and connect with you, where can they find you online? Um, On my Instagram page, that's 
my primary mm-hmm. primary platform um, at Shells Got Guts. Well, we've covered a lot today um, and your journey has just been incredible. So many ups and downs and just so much experience that you've shared and that you have that you can connect with so many other people on. So is there anything we didn't talk about today that you want to share and leave with the audience? I think we pretty much covered everything, but I think, you know, I just like to say that throughout all of this, I think attitude is so important that no matter where you are in your IBD journey, that having that positive outlook is is vital. It will help you get through it. And just knowing that you're going to be okay, that you're going to get better. I love that. And you're not alone. Jump on Instagram. That's right. (laughs) Find everybody out there. (laughs) Right. You're definitely not alone. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Shelly, for talking with me and sharing your journey today. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member, that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at crohnsfitnessfood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at crohnsfitnessfood or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.crohnsfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember... Be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.